And I feel like the Lord put something in my spirit this morning, uh, given the times that we're in. We're in a series in the book of Romans. And it, Romans is no joke, man. We're walking down a road less traveled. And um, I set the series in motion because the Lord prompted me. Um, it's been a lifetime goal of mine to teach through the book of Romans. It's, it's an important book, a difficult book. It's filled with all sorts of doctrinal nuggets, things you got to be aware of. And I just couldn't help but feel this came at the perfect time. I mean, it, I get to talk about uh, the theological complexity surrounding Israel in such a moment as this, and it stirred up my spirit because what we're going to teach today is not only in the middle of the book of Romans, it's taken center stage on the world scene. And we get to tackle the tricky topic of the subject of Israel. There's a reason why it's in your Bible in the world today. And I want to start off uh, Romans chapter 9. And I want to read the first five verses, and then we're going to pray. Here's what Paul said. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Man, he's laying himself bare. He said, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul said he would be willing to die and go to hell if it meant saving his brother. I've heard people say they're willing to die. I've never heard someone say they'd be willing to go to hell. That, that's an amazing statement that he made here. He said they're Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you this morning that we would be alert and awake to the times that we're in. Pray you help me communicate. I pray, Lord, for people listening. Maybe they have hard hearts. I pray for hearts to turn, hearts to be soft. And I pray that you give us uh, supernatural insight in the days that we live. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen and amen. Now, I have been to Israel twice, and uh, I got to go there 2013. Uh, and then again recently... 2017, I went with Pastor David. We have that picture of Pastor David and Major Elliot up there. All right, so this, 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 this is Major Elliot. Uh, he's at Israel. Soderit is... All right, so David took a selfie there in front of this... Uh, this is a playground in Soderit, Israel. Soderit is where Elizabeth and I was just at. It's the place that's getting bombed. That's where they raided every place. They took us down there to the border so we could have a bird's eye view of it. Major Elliot, do you remember when he came to the church here? He's always the smartest man in the room. He's the one who wrote the IDF field guide. I want you to think about that. He, he worked for the CIA when he was 20. He wrote the field guide for the Israeli defenses. I mean, a brilliant man. And he told us back in 2017, if you were here, that there was a day coming when Israel was going to have to deal with Hamas and Hezbollah on the borders of their country. And he said, when that day comes, it's going to be an epic battle. I mean, he, warned, he was talking about it then. So I'm grateful that he was here. You can see Pastor David and I. There, Elizabeth went there. It was challenging for her. She was literally at the Gaza border where they were killing Israeli tank drivers a week ago. I mean, truly incredible thing. Now, my grandma and grandpa went to Israel in 1967. They were there twice. Grandma actually got to go to the street called Straight in Damascus, which I, don't, I haven't met anyone who's been there. My dad went to Israel 11 times, nine times as a tour guide. But my uncle Ralph had been to Israel 33 times. said his favorite place was the Sea of Galilee because he liked to see... Peter's fishing boat. So I have an experience and appreciation for the Jewish people. I pulled out the flag for today's message. This is a good day to talk about Israel. And you better buckle your seatbelts for what's going on in the world, man. It's going to be a bumpy ride. I get to talk about Israel, which is uh, God's program. Israel is God's program. That means that uh, there, it's his plan 
of action. Uh, here's what you got to know. God has separate but distinct plans for the nation of Israel and the church. Separate but distinct plans for the nation of Israel and for the church, which is a misunderstood concept. We got something going on today which is called replacement theology. And if you're in many churches in many places, the idea is that the church has replaced Israel. And that is rooted in a, a spiritualized, hermeneutical uh, concept. So people will interpret the scriptures, and rather than taking Old Testament prophecy literally, they'll spiritualize it to fit around the church. And, and I've come across this a couple times. I had a man in our Next Steps class one time, and he noticed that we had an Israeli flag. He wondered, you know, why do you have that there? So I was telling him about working with Israel, going to Israel. God loves the Jewish people. But he was of this train of thought that the church has replaced Israel. He never came back. I had a man here, Jehovah Witness. He was getting right with the Lord. And I was telling people one time that one of the purposes of World War II was to restore the Jewish nation. He left church over that. That didn't fit in his theological prism. I have a friend in town. He was doing a prayer meeting at the capital or at the, at the, at the city. And in his prayer, they asked him to pray for Israel. And he basically prayed you know, that the church has replaced Israel. It made a bunch of... Uh, uh, rabbis upset, people were upset about it, but uh, that's called replacement theology, and I reject it. Because in 1948, Israel became a nation, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, in one day a nation will be born, and Romans chapter 11, as we'll teach you in a moment, dispels any notion that God is done with the Jewish people. And somehow this finds its way in the middle of Paul's greatest theological work, the book of Romans. So this is a simple way to outline these chapters. And I I've been studying the Bible for years, and this makes it so simple. Romans 9, 10, and 11. And each of the chapters, I'm going to just give you a thought for. So Romans chapter 9, first of all, deals with the past. That Israel was sovereignly chosen by God. It's, it's, uh, God is sovereign. This is his theological choice. This is where we get theological. Romans is doctrinal. You get it with the fall of man. You get to deal with uh, things like predestination, justification by faith, Romans. But they're theological. And we've just skimmed the surface of its complexities in this series that I'm in, but there's no greater theological conundrum that people get to deal with when you start talking about the nation of Israel and the realities around them. What do I mean that God is sovereign? That He's above all things, that He created all things, that He knows the end from the beginning, and His sovereignty demands my submission to His will. So Paul's describing the privileges of what it's like being born as a Jew. The children of Israel are children of promise. He lists seven blessings that are given to the nation of Israel. Look, look at verse number four here. He said, he's talking about his countrymen in the flesh, the Jewish people. They're Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. You know, Israel was God's son. That's Hosea chapter 11. He, he said, I've, I've called them my son. He said to Israel belongs the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God manifested in the temple, manifested in the tabernacle. That, that's something that belongs uniquely to Israel. He, he mentions the word, the covenant. Now, I looked up the word covenant. Here in the New King James, it's a plural, the covenants. But when you study the word out, the idea is a covenant. It's the covenant that God made with Abraham, and he gave that to Abraham for the land of Israel. That is what the battle is about today. That covenant he gave with Abraham thousands of years ago is still being waged. There's a battle for it to this very day. It's a covenant he made with Abraham to the land. He said the giving of the law. That's a unique Jewish 
identity. And the law is what's held you know, Israel together for 2,000 years. You don't see other people groups that have been dispelled across the world, like Mayans and Aztecs, being regathered. But you do see it with Jews. Why is that? Because he gave them an Old Testament law with things like the Sabbath that kept a national identity and culture together. He mentions the service of God. That's the work of the tabernacle with all of its ordinances. Uh, he talks here uh, about the, pro- the service of God and the promises of God. Not only are they the children of promise, they are the children of privilege, they're the children of promise. Man, the, the promise that God gave to Abraham, the promise of the Spirit uh, that would be poured out upon his seed. And we, we get to partake of that. Verse 5 says, of whom... Uh, are the fathers, the 12 patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their children, and from whom, according to flesh, Christ came, who's overall the eternally blessed God. You know, the Jewish nation gave birth to the Messiah, and that means that without Israel, there is no Jesus. In the Jewish religion, Israel, there's no Savior. Christianity is uh, rooted in the Jewish religion. You got to understand that. That's, we're grafted in, and he's going to use the picture of an olive tree later in chapter 11. So Israel's children of Privilege, they're children of promise, and they're the children of mercy. Look at chapter 9, verse 14. He said, what shall we say? Is there unrighteousness with God? And, and he uses the phrase, certainly not, which means get that idea out of your head. Perish that thought. He says in Moses, he's talking here in the book of Exodus, I'll have mercy on whomever I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. He says, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs. But it's of God who shows mercy. Israel is an object lesson in God's sovereignty. Uh, He's demonstrated his nature to the Jewish people through them. And he gets to demonstrate his mercy to the Jewish people. Uh, I have compassion whenever I come across uh, Jewish people. You can spot them, man. I'm in airports overseas. And surely there's always going to be some guy running around with a skull cap or he's got the hat on with the braids. And every time I see a Jewish man, I walk up smiling and I say, Shalom. I always try to extend kindness to him. You know, I've been texting my friend Rabbi Heimbrook, who lives in Bozeman. He's from New York. He started uh, Habud Levitach up in Bozeman. So they're conservative Jewish people. And I've been texting him. And, uh, you know, he's got an organization that they're fundraising. We're going to give them a little money so that they can uh, help get people who are. Uh, you know, out of homes. His cousin's home was rocketed in Soda Root. I've been talking to my new friend, Rabbi Shaul. He lives here in Billings. He's like 20-something years old. He's from Pittsburgh. He started uh, a Jewish branch here. But I'm friends with the Jewish people. I love them. I appreciate them. I don't have to get in theological arguments with them. I, I appreciate uh, what they've made, and I so long for their salvation. Now, I'm friends with them, but they would disagree with what Paul is writing here in Romans 9 and 10. Now we get to Romans chapter 10. Uh, Here's what it says in verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God is for Israel that they may be saved. He said, I I bear them witness. They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is where Paul starts getting... He he said, "For, for being ignorant of God's promises and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And he makes this amazing statement in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to anyone who believes. Now we get to talk about the present. Simple chapters. Romans 9 is the past. Romans 10 is the present. And in the present, what we see here from the scripture is that Israel 
has willingly rejected God. They have dismissed the idea. Uh, they've kind of refused this concept uh, that salvation can come any other way. Peter 2, 7, keeping Old Testament commandments. And it reminds me of what David said in the 118th Psalm. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 2, 7, that Jesus was the cornerstone upon which the builders rejected. So there's a reason for their rejection. Grace, as we've taught you in the book of Romans, is a rather insulting concept. It's insulting because it flies in the face of human nature, which so longs to justify itself. And imagine being told that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That, that struck a nerve in them. Because their, their attempt all their life is to maintain the law. And the thing about your human nature, man, it's always striving to prove its worth. That's what people do. And that's, what, that's why it's so incredible, this concept of grace laid out here in Romans. And so they've rejected it because they, they can't receive it like that. But there is a, a remedy that comes for their rejection. You know, when I'm sick, uh, I get medicine for my sinuses. And a little bit of something helps me breathe a little bit better. And you know, the thing about the world we live in is it's sick with a disease called sin. And there's one cure for it. And I love how easy it is for you to receive it. Look at Romans 10. Look at verse 9. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Very simple. Now, there's a thing going on right now where People in churches are saying stuff like, man, there's no, there's no place in the Bible for the sinner's prayer. And, and, and you know, the people will, if, you, if you pray after the service, you know, people will kind of make fun of it like that's, that's not really doing anything. And I do beg to differ with you. I just read to you, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it with your heart, you will be saved. It, it's a very simple concept. Uh, if you're sincere when you pray that, you will be saved. I like what it says in verse 11. The scripture says, whoever believes on the Lord Jesus will not be put to shame. Because there's no distinction, he said, between Jews and Greeks. And he says, the same Lord is rich over all to all who call upon his name, man. Man, he's rich in his goodness. He's rich in his mercy. He's rich to you. He's rich to me. That means that we can go to him and ask him and he won't turn you away. I love verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, man. You can call on that name. Sinners can call on that name, like, like the thief on the cross. And soldiers can call on that name, like men in foxholes. And, and people on sick beds that are near death can call on that name. And if you call on that name, the Bible says, you will be saved. You don't have to show up at church early and go to Sunday school and serve at the soup kitchen. You can call on that name and be saved. Ah, oh, yes, I like this. There's reasons for their rejection. And there's a remedy for their rejection, but there's also reasons. Just trying to get you the Romans chapter 10, look at verse 19. I do get to cover a lot of scriptures. I'm just trying to get you the pictures here. Verse, verse 19. Uh, did Israel not know? He, he said, he's quoting Moses again in the Old Testament. Uh, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Interesting, he uses the phrase foolish nation. Romans is fun because you get to talk about these theological uh, complexities. And one of the theological issues we run into is doctrines where people teach that 
the nation that's replaced Israel is America or some other nation. In fact, there's a group of people that call themselves British Israelites. And they say the 12 tribes ended up somewhere in Scotland and that's where they got dispersed to. And, you know, maybe that's the case, but the foolish nation here he's talking about is certainly not America. Yeah. You know how I know that? Because I like to compare Scripture with Scripture. I like to tell you what the Bible says. The nation he's referring to is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I think we have that one. He said, but you, uh, that'd be those of us sitting up in the church house, our chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Look what you are, a holy nation, his own special people. Uh, it says, who may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the foolish nation he's talking about is the church. I have been in church long enough to know it's filled with foolish people. Come on, somebody. I've been to too many potlucks. I've been to, you know, too many, uh, I've been to too many Bible camps of people. I know it's a foolish nation, but I do know this. God uses foolish people to confound the wise. So he talked about this, this foolish nation. You know, God uses foolishness to display his kindness. And, and it, it's something that provokes jealousy with. I like that story of me being at that uh, hotel in Jerusalem with a Jewish shopkeeper. And uh, I, I was bartering with him for a mug that I bought. And the guy looked at us and he said, you know, I envy Christians because you, you, you don't have to follow the law so strictly. You, got, you get a Sabbath day. You don't, have to, you don't have to shut everything down. He said, you're under grace. I envy that. And then we were on that tour and the, the tour guide, Jessica, she told us, I envy the joy that I see you Christians have when you worship Jesus. She said, I don't feel like I have any joy in my religion. I, I love seeing the joy that you have. It, it, it's something the Bible says that provokes them uh, to jealousy. Yeah, Th these are the results of uh, rejection. And what happened is it was described in the Old Testament, uh, in Deuteronomy 28. He, he, he gave them blessings, but he said, if you'll disobey me and you won't follow the law, he said, you're, you're going to be spread through the nations and, and there'll be a, a curse placed upon you. That happened. The Jewish people have suffered more than any other people group in the history of the world. That's an undeniable fact. That's why I appreciate and support them. They've been through things. You know, when uh, Elizabeth and I uh, went to Yad Vashem, that's the a Holocaust Museum in Israel for the first time, and she, she was like physically ill. She had a hard time just getting through it. I mean, it was very vivid. And more recently, I was in Washington, D.C., and I got to go to the Holocaust Museum in D.C., which was a fantastic experience. It was a cold February day. I was kind of speed walking through it because I had so many things to do. I came to the end of the Holocaust Museum, and there was a beautiful room in which I was the only person there, and there was the eternal flame that was burning. And I had time to reflect upon the nation of Israel, their place in world history, made me think about the plan of God for my own life. I had some time to pray, and I got to think about how the Lord has eternal purposes that are at work, that Israel is forever, which really brings us to the thing I get to highlight this morning, chapter 11 in the book of Romans. I say that chapter, Romans chapter 11, verse number one. I say that, has God cast away his people? And he said, get that idea out of your head. He said, I'm an Israelite. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Now we get to the future. And the Bible predicts that Israel will be miraculously saved. Oh, I love studying the Bible. You know, God knows the future better than you know the past. He's the one 
who's the author and the finisher of it, the Alpha and the Omega. He's got the whole world in his hands. He knows the very hairs of your head. So when we look at the past, God is looking at the future. He knows it so well. What does the future hold for Israel? Because it says here, God has not cast away his people. He's not done with the nation of Israel in spite of their rejection. Let's read verse number five. He said, at the present time, that's, that's right now, in the present moment, he said, uh, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. He's describing what uh, we would call remnant theology, that, that God always has a remnant. And so Israel's rejection it was like in part. It, it wasn't every single Jewish person that's rejected him. See, God always has a remnant throughout history. And what, what's amazing today is that there are more Christians alive in Israel today than there has been since the early church. I know it. I've been there. I've met, I'm telling you, there's people on fire for the Lord who are Jewish believers. I'll tell you what we do as a church. When you tithe here, we take the very first of the money we have, and we do what the Bible says in Romans 1.16. The gospel goes to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. So the very first of our first we like to send to church planning agencies. We like to work with Kufi, other organizations that you know, are working in Israel because there's a blessing associated with that. If you bless the Jewish people, you will be blessed. There's something about blessing them that releases blessing. There's a remnant of people God has always had through history in Israel and other places that have served him and known him. Uh, Israel's rejection was also a purposeful part of God's plan. This is a he said, this is where you get doctrinal. Romans 11, 11, like we said. He said, speaking of Israel, have they stumbled that they should fall, like they should be cast off and disappear? He said, get that idea out of your head. He said, through their fall, he's going to provoke them to jealousy. And he said, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do anyone know what a Gentile is? It's like all you Norwegians in here. How many of y'all have left at Christmas? Yeah. Germans and Japanese. And, you know, we were talking about being asleep in church. That would make you a Snorwegian. And I've met plenty of Snorwegians in churches. Right? They show up, but they're not really awake. The frozen shows. Right? Look what we say here, verse number 12. If their fall, if the, if the Jewish people's fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their fullness be? Now, you, you think about the contributions that Israel's made to the world. I mean... If, without Israel, there'd be no Bible, there'd be no Christianity, there'd be no Jesus. Do you know that more Nobel Peace Prize winners are Jewish? And when you look at per capita, like the, 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 the people in academia, people in music, people in the arts and literature, more of them have come from the Jewish people than just about any other group in the history of the world. And we're approaching a moment in time right now where the sovereignty of God is about to be on full display. We, we, we are here in a moment where you're, you're about to see restoration and the revealing of the Messiah, not just in the world, but to the Jewish people. Scripture and prophecy being fulfilled. Have you ever heard sermons on Romans chapter 11? Yeah, I didn't think so. Tricky topic to tackle. Israel's restoration is promised by God. Romans 11, verse 25. I love this. He said, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Someone say mystery. Yeah, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Man, this is a passage of Scripture packed 
with a lot of doctrine, a lot of theological truth. The mystery of Israel's blindness. I remember I did teach on this some years ago because we were doing a series about Paul's mysteries. He mentions the word mystery seven times in his epistles. And this is one of his mysteries. It's the mystery of Israel's blindness, that there's a veil that's over the eyes of the Jewish people. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. But it says when they come to Christ, the veil is taken away. So right now, it's like they, they don't see Jesus. They don't see their Messiah. That, that's what the Bible teaches. But there's coming a day when the, the blindness will be taken off their eyes. And we'll see in a moment. All Israel shall be saved. That's going to happen when something called the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? That, that is the role of the church. That, that, that every person, there's, there's a number of people God knows who are going to accept him. He knows that number. And when that number takes place, you're going to start to see things happening rapidly in the world. It's our job as a church to preach the gospel. That is what we should be about our Father's business. That's why you better be awake to the time. Your job in this world is to be about your father's business preaching the gospel to every tribe, nation, and tongue. That happens in places like the Ukraine. That happens where there's around us with the good news of Jesus. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. And when that fullness has come in, God will start turning his attention back to the Jewish people. Verse 26 says that all Israel will be saved. He's going to quote the Psalms. He's going to quote Isaiah. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He'll take away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. Someone say covenant with them. When I take away their sins. The prophet Zechariah said it like this. He said a fountain is going to be open and they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to reveal himself to the Jewish people. That's what the Old Testament prophesies. That's what Paul's writing about here in miraculous fashion. He said concerning the gospel, he said they're enemies for your sake. Paul was the guy who was very persecuted at the hands of Judaizers. Uh, but he said, according to the election, that would be referring to God's sovereign will. He said, the Jewish people are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the covenant that was set up for his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And we're reading here, he's not forgotten them. He cares about them. He knows them. He's for them. He said that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Man, what a beautiful verse. When God calls you to something, he never removes his calling. When, when he asks you to do something, he stays with you. And he's saying that in context, not to like just the call of God in your life, but to the Jewish people. He said, I called them, I've ordained them for a purpose, and I've not forgotten them. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I've got a covenant with them. I'm going to be with them. And he said, one day, all Israel is going to be saved. Look at verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God, I was a disobedient, backslidden teenager. But he said, now I've obtained mercy <laughs> through their disobedience. Even so, these also who've now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may obtain mercy. I thank God for his mercy. For God has committed them to disobedience that he might have mercy on them all. Let me tell you about God's mindset. It's mercy. That's what God thinks about. He thinks about extending his covenant, his promises. Uh, he had mercy on me when I was a backslidden teenager. He had mercy on you when you were a knucklehead. 
And he will have mercy on the Jewish people. They are on the forefront of his mind all the time. He loves to demonstrate his mercy. <coughs> and he said, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God's ways are higher. God's mercy is richer. And, man, his sovereignty is amazing. It's wonderful. Man, I think about the mercy he wants to demonstrate to Israel. There's coming a day when he is going to reveal himself to the Jewish people. Ever going to meet. That's what God is. He's, uh, you know, he's the kindest, most gracious, most wonderful person you are ever going to meet. That's what God is. He cares about. He cares about you. He cares about the Jewish people. You know, I, I think Pastor David's a very kind, gracious person. Um, because one time when we were in the old city of Jerusalem, I left my tablet. And uh, Pastor David noticed it. And then um, I walked around for 20 minutes feverishly looking for it. And David laughed, and he gave me his tablet. Give me back my tablet, that rascal. I'm grateful for that mercy that was demonstrated to me. All right. I, I love this. All right. What are you going to take away from a message like today? I'm going to take some time right here. Let me tell you what we got to take away. Israel is an object lesson in God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. And he rules in the affairs of men. There's the story of King Frederick the Great of Prussia. He asked his advisor, a mathematician. He said, I want you to prove to me the existence of the Jewish people. And the mathematician advisor thought for a bit, and he said, well, the way I can prove it to you is the continued existence of the Jewish people. I love to bring that question up to atheists I argue with. I want you to explain to me, Israel, why they're restored as a nation. And people just stutter around. They can't figure that one out because it's a theological complexity. I'm telling you, God is totally sovereign in the way he deals with them. And Israel revealed his sovereignty, his mercy, his goodness, his kindness. They demonstrate his nature, man. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You can take away uh, this, that God has a plan for Israel. Separate but distinct from the church. And that's where people get confused. Israel is the centerpiece of God's time clock. And if you understand their restoration in the world today and how God is working uh, in the Jewish people and he's working in the church. And I'm not saying that Jewish people are going to be saved. I'm not calling them Christians. I'm just saying that he, he has a time when he's going to reveal himself to them. He's just working in them. Uh, he has a plan for them. And part of that plan is us praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122. I love to pray for the Jewish people. I love to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When you're praying that, what you're praying is for the Lord's returning. Yeah. You can take this away from this today. Israel's forever. Uh, that they will never be removed from their land. You know that? That is what the battle is over. Uh, I remember when uh, we were at the wall. I was with Ron and Jan, and we went to walk around the, the wall. We found a gate in the old city. You can go walk up around it, around the top of the wall around Jerusalem. So we're walking around, and you go from, like, you know, the Armenian quarter, and you can look at the Jewish quarter. It's so beautiful. You do get over into the Muslim quarter. I'm just going to tell you, it, it, it's, 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 it's a dump. Like, it's dirty. And Lori's been there. She knows. So, you know, we're down there. You can see trash everywhere. And there were kids playing soccer in the courtyard. And the kids saw us, you know, Westerners walking on the wall. We were waving back and flashing the uh, hang 10 sign. And my friend Mark was like, uh, that, that's not the hang 10 sign, y'all. That, that's the sword of Allah. And what they're telling you is they're infidels and they'd like to see your heads cut off. <laughs> but we were waving. 
<laughs> I'm just telling you, they're not going to be removed from that land. That's what the battle's over. And try as people might, they're not going to be taken out. Uh, war is coming in the world. I mean, it, 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 like, we'll see how this thing plays out. I don't know what the future holds. I just know you better be right with the Lord. You better be awake. You better be alert. And you cannot be afraid. You know, it's interesting. It's like Elizabeth was talking to some friends from Kufi. And, and they are, they're terrified. And you would be afraid if people wanted to come after you too, wouldn't you? But as we understand the scripture, man, we have hope. These are times for us to be alert and awake, man. The Bible is a real, up-to-date, relevant book. It talks about Israel and its restoration, just like you're seeing in the world today. It tells you what's coming down the pike. And that just tells you God's totally in control in the affairs of men. I guess the, the, the last thing you've got to take away is, are you walking in God's plan for your life? Like, have you called upon his name? And have you received mercy? That's all you got to do. It's not hard. You just call upon that name. Whenever you got a problem, whenever you need help, just say, Lord, I need you. I want to call on the name of Jesus, and I can be saved, and I can be with you. Man, how wonderful is that? And I guess for me what it means is I want to surrender my life to his will. I want to totally submit myself to the will of God. Man, I have been thinking about that a lot lately. When you think about God's sovereignty, there are certain situations in life where you were not given a choice. But where you were born, who you were born to, how old, what, what, the time you were born in history, he, you didn't get to consult God about any of that. He, he gets to make sovereign decisions on situations. And your job is to submit to it. I just went through something where my submission, my surrendering was tested. And I found myself in a place, I, I want to submit to your will. I want your sovereignty in my life. That's what I want. I don't want my own will. I want your will. And, and I, I, that's what I would leave you with this morning. Th these are sovereign situations. We as people got to pray. We got to be alert. We got to preach the gospel. But God has a plan in place that's been working since the foundations of the world for the Jewish people. And you get to be front row witnesses to the end of all things taking place. And what an exciting hour to be alive. Amen. Amen. Stand up with me. I want to pray. I want to pray. Maybe you haven't called on that name. Maybe, maybe the thing you got to ask yourself is, am I in your will today? Am I in your will right now? That's where I want to be. I want to be in the will of God right now. I want to be there tomorrow. I want to be there the next day. If you're in the will of God now, you'll be there tomorrow. And I want to pray that of you. I want to pray for a, a surrendering and a, a, a yielding to God's spirit. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you've been rebellious. You've been bucking his will. You, you don't appreciate it. You want to run. Mm. I have discovered one thing, like we sang about this morning. The goodness of God is in my life. Mm. Let's just take a moment. And I want to pray. I want to pray that you submit and surrender to the will of the Lord. I want to pray that we do that. Father, I just thank you. Every person in this room here. I thank you that we can be a people surrendered, submitted to you. Lord, I pray that you provoke our conscience, you prick our minds. I pray, Lord, for the grace that is required for us to fully give ourselves to you, to fully walk with you in your plan, to have total trust, total confidence in who you are. And I thank you that we'd be uh, awake and alert to the seriousness of the times that we're in. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen and amen. <clears throat> Um, I, I have been watching the news probably too much. It's very fascinating for me. So 
I, I just encourage you to pray for the nation of Israel. I encourage you to be vocal if you need to be on support on their behalf. And I would encourage you to be a light and preach the gospel everywhere you go. Share it with everybody because we want to see the fullness of the harvest come in. I'm telling you, God is about to pour out his spirit in the world. And we're going to see a mighty harvest of souls. And you better be awake and alert for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We love you very, very much. And we will catch you all uh, next Sunday morning. I love you all. If you want prayer, the altars are open, man. We'd love to pray with you.